Yep. Okay, great. Okay, so we're recording on the GarageBand and the Zoom thing so that the audios, we should be able to get going. All right. Um, okay, this interval on The Clueless Critic, I, Kevin Nikolai, am going to pick the movie because we are doing a very special Kevin Shorts episode with Raphael on hiatus. And we're just going to look at a short movie that I choose and speak for a shorter amount of time. And this week I have Mr. John A. Riley with me. Hi, Kevin. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good. Anything eventful happen in your in your uh, life this week? Anything of interest? Maybe. Well, no? well, all kinds of eventful things. All kinds of deeply traumatic things. Uh, <laughs> some involve some involving shrimp, and others not. Um, <laughs> but I did receive an interesting letter. Um, oh and, no! Oh and, no! And Don't it, tell yeah. me it's from him. It is. It is from him, and it's oh, on United Nations letterheaded paper. United Nations. Um, he's, he's using that against us. I I think yeah. It's almost it has the character of a military threat. Right? Oh no! <laughs> um, this so let me be read the one and only you. Jeremy Irons. Would it? It is. It is the one and only Jeremy Irons. Jeremy. It says. It says <sighs> what ho chaps? I see cancel culture is alive and well and living in Dajon. You're just mad because you lost the soggy biscuit game to a bunch of day boys at Haleybury. I bet you're thinking about how good your dad would look in a white dress and drooling as you read this. Pathetic. Toodles. Jezza. United Nations Goodwill Ambassador. What 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 do you think of that, Kevin? I think I think that this feud that Jeremy Irons has with this podcast has just gotten out of hand. And I just want to remind him, we have 30 listeners tops, Jeremy. I don't know why you're one of them, but please, please, you know, just know that it's all in good fun and we're not trying to pick anything with you. We we actually love Jeremy Irons, right? Yeah, Scar yeah. As the, in The Lion King. Sexy um, Scar. That thing. Yep. Sexy <laughs> Scar. That thing. That thing thing where he's twins who are gynecologists you know all all the great roles that he did um so jeremy we want we would love to have you on the show and actually talk to you about your career ask you about danny champion of the world so i don't really understand part of old... his letter can, can you explain like soggy what was that soggy biscuit boy what is he talking about um I, I think it's a kind of game that is practiced at some of the elite schools in Britain, uh, the exact nature of which I don't think I can actually uh, read out or, or explain to you. But um, I Sounds think naughty. Jeremy might. Well, that's certainly one way to put it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Jeremy's assuming that I went to a, a more high class school than I did. There was no you know there was no opportunity to play the soggy biscuit game at saint bede's roman catholic high school we didn't even have biscuits right yeah yeah so settle yourself down jeremy and if you want to come on the podcast well you'll be our first ever real guest so i, I would honestly love that i would love it if we could get jeremy on the show should we talk about the film then yeah yeah let's dive into the film so this uh interval on, on the podcast we're going to do um a George Hickenlooper directed movie called some folks called a sling blade. It was written by the one and only Billy Bob Thornton. Um, and it was kind of released 1993, 1994. Um, 
Yeah. And it's just a weird short movie. It was later made a couple of years later into a feature length called Sling Blade that explored the character in more depth. But um, the short is basically only takes place with inside kind of a mental institution as the main character, uh, Billy Bob Thornton is uh, Carl is uh, being released after 25 years in jail or not jail, a mental institution. That's it. Um, That's it. Right. A very simple premise and a very, a very straightforward movie in narrative terms. But what was it that um, I'd never heard of this until you, um, until you told me about it, Kevin, but you pointed out there's a, there's a South Park episode where they're they're like parodying the, the way the character talks. Yeah. 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 Cartman is parodying. Yeah. 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 Um, So so it's, it's well known in certain circles then. Yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is. I I, I kind of died laughing when I saw. I think Cartman is actually referencing the feature length movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, so they, like much fewer people have seen the actual movie. And the only reason that I got a chance to come across it is because I'm from St. Louis and I went to a St. Louis high school where the teacher, his name is Brent Williams. He was like my religion teacher. He said, "Hey, I'm in a like a real movie at the." theater down to Tivoli, you know, um, he'd like announced it to the class. And uh, I said, Oh, yeah, great. I'm going. And it was just like me and my one friend went, I thought like the whole school is going to go. I thought it was such a cool thing. <laughs> but it was just like us. So we went to go see this movie called The Low Life. And um, my teacher just has a very small role in this George Hickenlooper film. It's like a Rory Cochran, Sean Astin film. I, I liked it. I thought it was uh, enjoyable. But afterwards, I got invited to like a private screening with George Hickenlooper and Brent Williams at Brent Williams's house just to watch this movie they had done a couple years earlier called Some Folks Call the Sling Blade. And uh, it, was, it was like a really, I thought, weird not the sort of thing I've ever seen before because it was like quiet and started out kind of like not much is going on. It was 24 minutes long. It was in black and white. And I just thought, wow, that was just really, really different for me experiencing as probably as like 14 years old at the time. So like mm. it was just like a really unique experience. The only time I ever got to be like watching something in someone's living room with like the director, you know, it's such a strange thing. And I was like, so excited, you know, and I was like kind of getting into films at that time. So I thought it was like just the coolest thing ever that I'm with this director guy. And I liked, I liked this other movies in, and I knew who Sean Astin was. And I don't think I knew who Rory Cochran was. Um, I don't know if he had made such a big splash by that time. I don't know who that is now, Kevin, who is Rory Cochran? Who is Rory Cochran? I think he was also. Did you see Empire Records? A long time ago, but uh, not to really remember it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He hasn't done a lot of things, but like he kind of made a splash in Empire Records. Um, but um, as like the kid who loses all the money, he's trying to save the record store or something. Um, anyway. Oh yeah, I seem to remember that. Anyway, so that so I got to meet uh George Hickenlooper and uh watch that movie i think i might have like like bought a copy of the movie because i thought it was kind of cool um yeah and that's that's like my little personal connection and george and george hickenlooper ended up using my religion teacher brent williams who was his uncle like um in like three or four other movies as like a background character 
like one time being like a KKK guy who gets like shot in the head or something. So I thought that was a kind of funny one in this movie. And some folks go to sling blade. Brent is just kind of like waving his head back and forth as someone spoon feeding him. So. Um, oh yeah. I, I did I, notice. <laughs> I did notice that character yeah. because I, because I thought to myself in a, in a American movie set in a mental institution, you have to have someone bobbing their head back and forwards and possibly being spoon fed. And then I was like, Oh, there he is. Yeah, they, <laughs> and, yeah, that's, they did. and that's that your, that's, that's your religious teacher, studies. Yeah. Teacher. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So have you, did you watch it again for this or are you relying? I did. On I just watched it on videos? YouTube. I, I think cause I had a copy and I had a private screening with like a film. Like it was like the YouTube versions, like obviously like much worse, you know, in terms of quality, but yeah, I just watched it real quickly mm-hmm. before I came on here. Um, it's in three parts on YouTube. Someone put it up there. How did it hold up watching it again? Well, I remember being really surprised cause I, I recognized all the different actors in there. Like, I'm like, Oh, that's Molly Ringwald. I didn't remember she was in there. And there's a couple other like JT Walsh. I, I recognized him. Um, he's been in a few things. He was like in Pleasantville. And then there was Jeff Jefferson Mays, who I said, I know that guy. And the Coen brothers used him for Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Macbeth. Um, mm. Maybe uh, the Suzanne Cryer. She was another person. I think she was like in a Seinfeld episode. So like I was like, oh, like I think the first time I watched it, I didn't know who anyone is. Not even like Molly Ringwald. I didn't make the connection at that time. Oh, right. So yeah, to me, well, I just, it's I Yeah. I never like those. Perhaps it's an obvious thing for me to not like, but I never like those eighties yeah, Molly Ringwald films. You, you probably have some atavistic fealty towards um, John Hughes because he's from Chicago, but I just never really liked his movies. Right, but right. Molly Ringwald, Molly Ringwald is not only that, is she? Like she wrote this. Um, New Yorker article recently about working with Jean Luc Godard and what it was like as a teenager who was used to being in those kind of movies and then suddenly being pulled into Goddard's like bizarre experimental world it was really good I was like I want a whole I want a whole book of this article I want I actually want to read Molly Ringwald's memoirs of of a life in movies and and this must have been the first time perhaps you saw that side of her coming out right the more mature interesting not teen starlet molly ringwald yeah she didn't is she that doesn't true read or does she... yeah i think you might be right because like she was young it wasn't much long after those 80s movies but she doesn't read as a teenager at all you know she just like her reads as like a young professional newspaper lady right i was really impressed with her performance mm. um because i do think and this is something we we have to talk about right the the main bulk of the film is is this kind of monologue like thing where Billy Bob Thornton is telling his life story, hmm. how he came to be in this place and how he how he committed this murder and what his side of it, uh, this double murder and what his side of it was. Right. So it's kind of like this mo- monologue, right? And that's what it originally was, like a one man show kind of thing on the stage. Is that right? I'm not sure. No, that you might have more information than me. But there's like, there's yeah. something there's some thing like always a bit off about these kind of like performances of like i'm gonna be a person with like mental health and and mental uh learning difficulties and mental health issues and that kind of thing there's something a bit off about those kind of 
performances, right? Like right, right. there's something a bit inherently, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, this is a great film, don't get me wrong, but there's just always something. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, that's a bit like strange about that. And that's what's dominating the film. But actually, I came away from it going, wow, Molly Ringwald's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah. You know. Right. Um, but it, it, but also it is, uh, in its own right, it is a remarkable performance from Billy Bob, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it kind of, yeah. Like, you, you, you pick up from the character that he's, like, trying his best to to be sincere and and relay the story to the best of his ability and Mm -hmm. you know like do what's expected of him you know he's he's got that like institutionalized approach of of just trying to get by and you know like you get a little bit of I thought it was interesting the way they kind of pushed him with the JT Walsh character earlier, who's just kind of messing with him a little bit just by telling him about his disturbing crimes of the past mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. And you just kind of see Carl struggle with like, oh, why is this guy? You know, you can see he's kind of irritated that he's being like pushed into the corner by this, um, you know, crazy guy. Probably aware that he can't really show any anger or escalate it in any way in case it turns into some incident that's going to affect him him getting out and all that kind of stuff. Right. So he just yeah. has to kind of sit there and listen to it, doesn't he? Yeah. And you see you see that again when the Molly Ringwald character like reaches out to shake his hand and he just kind of looks away. It's it's not he's being rude. She and she can see that too. It's just like I don't want to get in any thing, you know, that's a bit much mm-hmm. for me like contact right now. I just need to get through today. What do you, what where do you think this is coming from? Like what is the, the what perhaps other influences or inspirations of this? What do you think? Why do you think Billy Bob Thornton? Because it is his Hickenlooper's directing, obviously, but it's his personal project, really, isn't it? Right. Billy yeah. Bob directed the the feature version, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I believe that's correct. And and there was hurt feelings, so, of my understanding, with with that one with George Hickenlooper, you know, like not being oh, involved in any way at all on the. Oh, I see. On the feature. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. But um, well, what what do you? Th- what do you think Billy Bob was was going for with this whole thing? That's really an interesting question, and I haven't I haven't like researched or anything. But if I had to guess, I'd be like, this is one of those things where like the character comes first, almost like right when he's like devising this whole thing. Maybe he's muttering to himself in the room, envisioning that character, wanting to talk that way, experiencing like mm-hmm. what is he going to say if he's going to be talking in that way and going, oh, I must. This guy must be institutionalized. This guy must have like a terrible story in his past. Right. He was abused. And that's what that's kind of like what happened to him and why he acts this way. Um, so, yeah, I, I bet you he was playing with the character before even having any concrete storyline because because that character is so, mm-hmm. so kind of unique in a lot of ways. I mean, it's kind of in, it's it's a little bit imitatable, like mm, I like eating French fried potatoes. Mm, they taste real good. <laughs> yeah, but. but- I have to admit, I, I was as soon as it finished, I was going like, my mama didn't like me beating off none, so she locked me in the shed as soon as it <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> As soon as the emotional impact had faded slightly, I was just doing these caricature versions right. of it. So, and they right. obviously South Park 
picked up on that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that yeah, just a yeah, fun so maybe, to do. Yeah, maybe it is quite fun to to inhabit that character. And do you think they were going for because you don't really know who he is, do you? When um when the other characters talking to him and telling him about all this disturbing stuff, right. you don't get a sense of who who he is yet. And then Molly Ringwald is like seems to dislike him as right, like right. she knows he's a murderer that kind of thing and then when it's like oh he doesn't want to be interviewed by women and then it's not going to be an interview it's just going to be a statement it makes it seem like he's this imposing controlling figure who you know inherently doesn't like women and then right. it's you find out he's a bit more of a complicated sympathetic character than that is that kind of what they were playing with do you think like molly's got this rigid perspective of what it's going to be and she comes to be yeah yeah like one are there like kind of like those bigger picture issues of like boo keep them in jail forever kind of like societal mm-hmm. concepts and then like that's how she's feeling at the beginning and then at the end you can tell she's worried well what's what's he gonna do like what the heck you've institutionalized this guy for 25 years since he was 13 and what, yep. what's out there for him what's what kind of life yeah does he have yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. obviously not not going to uh, uh, kill again, is he? He's, I mean, he says that, but there's a there's a um, do you know what? I mean? There's a believability when he says that, right? Well, stay tuned for did. the feature for the feature film, which is kind of like a follow up. So, so oh, I see. All right, okay. Well, at <laughs> at that time, I mean, this iteration of it, yeah, yeah, you believe it when he says that, yeah, right? yeah, you sincerely and the, do. The, the murders that that happen that he did commit it uh as he explains it um the the kid who relentlessly bullied him at school was podgering his mum so he <laughs> so he so he attacked the kid with a sling blade right. and then he found out his mum was enjoying it and he just <laughs> lost his rag and killed her as well yeah. i I mean, I don't even know what a sling blade is, but I I would be, you know, rather spooked under those circumstances. I think anyone, would. yeah, I think that would be a strain on my mental health as well. Yeah, your 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 school bully is banging your ma in the kitchen while you're like living in the shed waiting for your Bible lesson. It's a bit much. <laughs> I think I think that's the thing with this film, right? Is that it does. Um, it does walk that line between being it's good, but it could so easily be ridiculous. Right. And, and I guess that's why people have picked up on the character and imitated him in, in South park and things like that, because it's just on the verge of being a bit, a bit ridiculous. I mean, I'm not trying to, but it just has a slight. It's it's very easy to parody and make fun of just because he's like such an out there character and unique. And you, you know, I remember one time, like I was working at uh, UPS uh, in St. Louis and there was just a guy who talked that way. Like he's like Kevin, Kevin, we got gotta load up this truck right here and all this all these boxes. They gotta make sure they get over to St. John's Medical Center. And like he always talked that way. And I knew that voice, right? From the from Slump Post uh-huh. So I would imitate that guy to all the other workers and they would just die laughing. Like, how do you do that guy's voice so well? I'm like, Well, there's this little film. <laughs> so they'd always ask me, Hey, but do, it- do Edgar's voice again? But it's not it's not very subtle in terms of 
unfortunately there are people who receive that level of abuse right but oh, but yeah. i guess the way it, the way it presents it is is so it's like the most over the top thing southern gothic version of abuse you could think of but i know at least like the the um the punk singer Gigi Allen, that's like what his childhood was like. Mm. So obviously these kind of things are real, but it just almost feels like this Southern Gothic parody of like being locked in a, in a shed and waiting for your Bible lessons and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think some of the humor around this film is, a, is just then turning it into humor because it is so traumatic in another way? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's interesting to like pick up on on the humor of it because like that wasn't like my impression. Like the first time I watched it, I was like kind of like, ooh, like what an interesting story. But like I feel like, you know, the Coen brothers are like buddies with uh, Billy Bob and, you know, there's this like tie in with this movie and uh, Ballad of mm -hmm. Strugs. I feel like they and they put him in a movie, you know, he was like the main character in a movie of a Coen brother movie. And I feel like they just see the humor in like the way Billy Bob can do that kind of thing. I don't know, but there is a, there is a comedy to the terror of Billy Bob. Thornton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is. This is also, as, as you said, with the sound, the quietness at the beginning and stuff, it's got really nice sound design with the kind of like background TV and all that kind of stuff. And it's really well shot, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. The it's really the well black shot. and the, the black and white cinematography is really nice it's not just his standard short short film black and white cinematography i think the cinematographer was like worked on some of martin scorsese's early films oh really okay like the oh. ones before the ones before taxi driver that perhaps aren't that, that perhaps aren't that well known i think that's what i saw when i i like how we just throw out things in in this podcast without fact checking them it's great yeah, isn't yeah. It? And I heard Jeremy Irons came to it and started booing it. And I don't know. That was weird at the premiere. <laughs> oh, Mr. Irons, we love you. Um, I, I didn't really know what to expect because, like I said, I didn't really know anything about Sling Blade or some call it a Sling Blade going into this. But um, I was impressed by it. And it made me think, like, there isn't, there isn't that much of a tradition, I think. Uh, there is a bit of one, but there isn't that much of a tradition in the States of like this sort of TV play, is there? Maybe 12 Angry Men's the only sort of well-known one. Right, right, right. But like we have that tradition, like Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, where it is just a, a monologue for like 30 to 45 minutes um, and, and other kind of types of tv play and it kind of made me think of that tradition more so it's actually quite a sort of um it, it felt quite british in its kind of presentation and it's um the way that it was just dealing with a lot in this kind of 25 to 30 minute format so yeah. i don't know what billy bob thornton has been watching but maybe he's been chowing down on loads of british social realism and stuff maybe or maybe he's a big fan of prairie home companion which is like a a U.S. kind of radio play style weird thing with Garrison Keillor. I, I know what that is. I've seen the yeah. movie version of it. Have you ever? Oh, seen I've never that? seen that. No, I listened to it a oh, lot right. when I was younger, though. Oh, okay. It was Robert Altman's final film, but uh, but was digressing. Maybe that could be <laughs> Robert Altman's final film. Could be another episode in the future. 
I, I guess I should just point out for for our listeners. I feel like what's that thing that George Hickenlooper is most no, known for is the the documentary on Apocalypse Now. I think. Yeah, f- fantastic documentary. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really what good. Maybe I'm... if anyone knows the name Hickenlooper, who's not from St. Louis and didn't have Brent Williams as a religion teacher, um, you might know him from that. I think that's where he got kind of the most accolades and you know respect was from doing that. Um, well. Have we said everything that needs to be said in this episode of Kevin Shorts? Yeah, I think so. We're just going to keep this one short, end it there. Um, I just want to thank Molly Ringwald for, you know, bringing it. Billy Bob, good work. Looper, And, you know, uh, especially I wanted to thank uh, Brent Williams, who invited me to the Tivoli Theater back when I was 14 years old. And I noticed this time... I. I must have noticed it the last two times I watched it too, though. But just like at the very end, it says for Uncle Brent. <laughs> That's like the last thing that like pops on after. The oh, credits. wow. So it's like, you That's know, amazing. The movie was for my. So obviously he had a very close relationship with his Uncle Brent, my religion teacher. Well, can I just share a, a story about that involves film and my religion teacher? Sure. Um, he showed he showed us the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Right? Oh yeah. Because I think he just I think he just knew it would kill three class periods without <laughs> him having to do anything. And when it starts, when it starts, the narrator says the Jews were in bondage in Egypt, and I laughed at the word bondage. And then he made me explain to the class why that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you say? <laughs> well. Well, you know, I, I said what it was because he yeah, kind of yeah. had me backed against the wall, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was calling he was calling my bluff, so I right. said what it was. Um, yeah. So that's that's Mr. Farron. No, no thanks to you, Mr. Farron. If mm. I ever direct a film, that's going to be the last thing you'll see. Is like no thanks to Tommy Farron, wanker in brackets. Now I'm going to digress an even level deeper away from anything is that uh, I was at I was in a class um, in Prague learning how to do TEFL or TESOL certification thing, TEFL certification thing. And the mm-hmm. teacher teacher started talking about infixes. This is Gareth. And uh, he goes, but English doesn't have infixes. And this is like a class of 15 people or something. And I go, yeah, it yeah. does. I can think of one. And he's like, oh, really smart guy. What is it? You know, I'm like, well. You want me to say? He's like, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, well, fucking, like, unfucking believable. That's an infix. And he just started cracking up because he didn't think how to, like, he knew, like, what infix, like, there's bloody, like, unbloody believable. And, but the only other yeah. one that an American is going to say is the fucking one. So we're going to bleep that out, though, because we can't have the word fucking in a podcast, I don't think. Really? Jeremy okay, Irons well, is going to write about it. Make sure you bleep that out. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, shall we uh, come back next time with another exciting episode with Raphael? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait till uh, we get Raphael back back in the back in the ba- basket. Is that how you say it? Is yeah. that the expression? Back in the basket. I he fell out of know. the basket. We got to put him back in the basket. Get, get back in the basket, Raphael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you fell out of our picnic basket. We got to put you back on the bicycle, back in the basket, and get on to the next episode. All right. That's all I got, John. All right. Me too. I thought that went well. Yeah, that was good. What are you going to do yeah. the rest of your evening? Um, Don't well, say drugs. Don't say drugs. Don't say drugs. Uh, Don't say drugs.
Outro music was provided by Homeless Sky, and intro music was provided by me, Beatrice Nikolai.